Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. So amazing. Uh, yeah, that was summer camp. So be on the lookout. Uh, we're going to uh, take some time with the team and think about uh, how we can make it bigger, better next year, um, because we really do believe that those moments change students' lives. Um, something that one of my friends said that I truly do believe, and I shared it this morning at prayer, uh, is he said that these moments at camp shouldn't be mountaintops. They should be trampolines. And what's interesting is that when you have a moment at camp like this, it can sometimes feel like a mountaintop. And my prayer for our students, my prayer even for our church, is that when you have an experience with God, that you wouldn't look back five, ten years later and say, oh, well, well, I remember that moment. That was a mountaintop in my life. But you would actually say, no, because of that moment, it was a trampoline. And I found Jesus in my marriage. I found Jesus in my school. I found Jesus in every area of my life. So uh, super thankful we got to do that. Huge shout out. Uh, can we do this? Can we make some noise for our lead pastors, Tyler and Rachel Johnson? Uh, because without them, um, that's not possible. Without them, that doesn't happen. Uh, but super excited uh, to preach this morning. Uh, before we get into the message, you might not have known this uh, about me. Uh, you might not have known this about my personality, uh, but I'm competitive. You didn't have to laugh that hard. We didn't have to laugh that hard. Uh, I'm so competitive. I even told our students this last week at camp, we ended up winning the Tribe Wars. Uh, shout out to the blue team. Uh, come on. <clears throat> uh, I told them, I said, if we lose, don't worry, I won't be mad. I'll just be disappointed. I'll just be disappointed. I will. And we ended up winning, and it was awesome, but I am super competitive. I even found myself in these competitive moments last week to where I had to remember, like, Joe, you're the youth pastor now. Like, you're not one of the students anymore. They were playing that game when they were on the pool, and they were pushing, and I'm yelling at our students, pusher, 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 and kids from the other teams are like, who is this guy? Like, why is he here? That's so weird. I'm sorry. I'm competitive, and <clears throat> I even found out a day that I was competitive. We took our summer interns, our high school students, uh, to Rock and Jump. Now, Rock and Jump is one of these trampoline parks, uh, and these trampoline parks are amazing. Uh, there's trampolines everywhere. Uh, there's dodgeball. You can jump into foam pits, and we took our summer interns there, and it was a great time, and all of a sudden, we're hanging out, and someone comes up to me, and, and they say, oh, everyone's at the, uh, uh, the rock climbing wall. And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. So we walk over and everyone's climbing up the rock climbing wall. And I kid you not, you could have told me our students were undercover Marvel characters and I would have believed you. Like they're literally like jumping to the top of the wall. Uh, when you get to the top of the rock climbing wall, uh, you push a button and the alarm goes off and everyone claps for you. And it's this amazing moment. And me being the competitive person I am, I'm like, I want that moment. Like it's the Enneagram three in me. Like I'm, I'm literally like, I want that moment. So I'm like, all right, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go for it. So I start trying to do the rock climbing wall. I instantly realize that these things are not made for people who are 6'5". Uh, they're just not. So I start climbing and not only are they not made for people who are 6'5", but the footholds are probably made for children. Like, like I have a th size 13 shoe and I'm literally trying to push my way up this rock climbing wall with my toenail. Like it's literally not good. Like my feet are hurting. And I realize about like a third of the way up, I'm like, I don't know if I can finish. Like I'm literally like, I don't know. But then there's like my wife and like all of our students watching me. So it's like my pride just has to like push me through. 
And I have this moment where I'm like, am I gonna stop or am I gonna keep going? What, what am I gonna do? So I end up going and, and I get to the top of the rock climbing wall and it's this amazing moment and I push the button and everyone's cheering. Uh, some students maybe even shed tears of joy. It was just a beautiful moment. <laughs> just a beautiful, beautiful moment. But then I realize I have this epitome that uh, I have to come back down. And in that moment, I also realized I'm afraid of heights. Like I didn't know before, but in that moment I realized it. So I start like trying to figure out how to like come down. Like the students think I'm just resting, but I'm actually like calculating like which foot did I use to come up here? Like I, I had to figure it out. And I have this moment where I'm trying to climb down, where I'm trying to come down and a student yells something and they might not have even thought anything of it. They yell something and it's all honestly the title of my message and they say this statement, Joe, you can't climb. They say, it's faster if you fall. They say, it's faster if you fall. I'm like, that sounds like terrible advice. You're telling me to jump off of a rock climbing wall. But they end up saying this. They say, it's faster if you fall. And the reason why is because as you jump, there's actually something there to catch you. There's actually something there is resistance. There's actually something there to make sure that you don't get hurt. They say, it's faster if you fall. Now, why do I share this this morning? Because I believe that a lot of our lives sometimes looks like climbing to where what you and I try to do is we're trying to climb our way to fulfillment. We're trying to climb our way to hope. We're trying to climb our way to joy. So we spend a lot of moments, okay, I'm climbing, I'm climbing. I'm gonna get this business, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna get this degree, it's gonna be awesome, I'm gonna get married, and it's gonna be great, and I'm gonna climb, and I'm finally gonna be happy. I'm finally gonna have joy. I'm finally gonna be fulfilled only to realize that when you get to the mountaintop, when you get to the top of the rock climbing wall that you're not met there with fulfillment, you're not met there with hope, you're not met there with this moment, what you're actually met there with is anxiety. What you're actually met there with is depression. What you're actually met there with is struggling. And then what's our response to this? When we feel like we've climbed to get everything, when we feel like we've climbed to get everything that we've wanted, everything that we've dreamed of, but it wasn't what we thought that it would be, what's our response? well, I must have to climb back down. Well, I must have to work really hard. I must have to climb back down. I must have to work really hard. I must have to strive because I got myself in this position by climbing, so I must have to climb my way out. I got myself in this position by working, so I must have to work my way out. But can I encourage you with the same things that our student encouraged me with in that moment? It's faster if you fall. You see, grace is not something you should climb to. It's actually something you fall into. Can I encourage you? Grace is not something that you work for, but it's actually something that you rest in. It's faster if you fall into the arms of the Father. It's faster if you fall into the grace of God. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. But what you have to understand this morning is that it's faster if you fall. And yet some of us will live our lives stuck, stuck at the top of the mount, rock climbing wall, stuck at, stuck at the top of the mountain simply because of our inability to let go simply because of our inability to let go of the things that we worked for, the things that we have, and yet what we see happen in the Bible multiple times, time and time again, is that Jesus makes these statements that say, hey, in order to gain everything, you have to let go of some things. He even says things like, hey, forsake everything to follow me. He even tells us, hey, you cannot gain your life unless you what? Lose it. You have to let go. You have to let go. Can I encourage you? The fastest way to joy is not climbing, it's falling. The fastest way to hope is not climbing, it's falling. The fastest way to peace is not climbing, it's falling. It's faster if you fall. And there's a story in the Bible that I think 
uh, walks us through this, and it's this story, and our character in the story is Lazarus. And Lazarus has these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they send Jesus this letter. They send Jesus this letter, and this letter says, Jesus, the one you love is sick. That's what they send to Jesus. They say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Can I encourage you this morning, just because you might be sick, that doesn't mean that you aren't loved. Can I encourage you this morning, just because you might be going through some things, that doesn't mean that God isn't with you. Just because you might be going through some things, that doesn't mean that God isn't for you. The situation of Lazarus did not change the way that Jesus felt about him. Lazarus' situation and his circumstance did not change his position. Even though Lazarus was sick, Lazarus was loved. Even though Lazarus was going through a hard time, Lazarus was loved. So Jesus gets this letter. And as he gets this letter, if I was Jesus in this moment, I would think, Lazarus is sick. I must have to rush back. I must have to sprint. Let's go. Let's get everything. Let's pack everything up. And what does the Bible say? It says that he waited. It says that he took a moment and he waited. And I think that this would even be the position that a lot of us feel into where we've sent letters to Jesus. We've sent things to Jesus. We've sent prayer requests to Jesus. And we feel as though we're in this moment of waiting. But what does Jesus tell the disciples in this moment before he stays? It says that he says, this sickness will not end in death. Can I encourage you? The timing did not affect the promise. Can I encourage you? Because it took a little bit longer, the promise remained the same. And there are going to be times in your life that some things might take longer than expected. There might be a little bit of delay, but the delay does not defer the promise. The, the delay does not make the promise go away. So Jesus gets this letter and he stays. And then he finally shows up and Lazarus has been dead for four days. What you have to understand about this story is that the people in this culture believe that for three days, resurrection was still possible. So in their mind, it's over. In their mind, that's it. In their mind, it's done. So when Jesus goes to them, when Jesus shows up at the scene, they're upset. They're angry. They even say this statement, Jesus, if you would have been there. They say this statement. They say, Jesus, if you would have been there, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you would have showed up, my brother would have made it. Oh, how many of us feel like that today? Jesus, if you would have showed up quicker, my life wouldn't be the way that it was. Jesus, if you would have showed up quicker, then it wouldn't have been like this. If you would have showed up quicker, I wouldn't have had to go through this. If you would have showed up quicker, and yet what we see from Jesus is Jesus isn't angry at their emotions. Jesus doesn't respond and rebuke them, but what does Jesus do? He actually weeps with them. He actually takes a moment and he sits down with them. He actually weeps with them, knowing that the story is about to take a turn. He actually weeps. It says Jesus wept with them. It says that he cried with them. And what you have to understand, I've said this at our church before, if it matters to you, it matters to God. Even a God who knows the end of the story, even a God that knows it's going to be better in just a few moments, did not rush to the end of the story. He did not rush to the end, but what did he do? He wept. He cried. You can bring your true emotions to God. You don't have to withhold them. You don't have to hold them back, but you can bring your anger. You can bring your frustration, and what Jesus will do is he won't be angry. He won't rebuke you. What will he do? He'll weep with you. He'll cry with you. He'll spend time with you. So that's where we are in our story. Jesus has finally showed up. Jesus has made it, and it says in the Bible in John chapter 11, it says, then Jesus, the anger welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, master, by this time there's a stench, 
He's been dead for four days. Jesus looked her in the eye. Didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed. Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken that they might believe that you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver wrapped from head to toe with a kerchief over his face. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. Let's pray one more time before the preaching of God's word. God, I thank you that you are a God that is with us and for us. That in moments when we bring you our emotions, in moments when we bring you our fears, God, you do not turn away from us. You don't even rebuke us, but you sit there for a second and you hold us. You weep with us. You spend time with us. I pray that we would not view you as a God that is angry. That we would not view you as a God who is upset, but you, we would view you as a God who loves us. Do what only you can do in our church in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Uh, there's two different types of people in the world. There's people who love animals. Uh, raise your hand if you're someone who loves animals. You love animals. And there's people, I don't want to say that you hate animals, but you could do without them. Let's, uh, is there anyone like that? Like, you don't hate them. I don't want to say that. That's just politically incorrect. But, but you kind of do. Like, you don't hate them, but you know. You know. Now, normally, these two types of people can coexist. Normally, these two types of people can come together. Until there's animals involved. Like normally they're fine until there's animals. And the reason why is because people who are animal people like just feel comfortable and normal with animals that like aren't their pets. Like it's like I was never the guy that if I saw a dog like wanted to pet it. Like that was never just me. But I know people who as soon as they see a dog they can't like hold themselves back. Like, like oh I just have to, I have to. Like no you don't, you don't actually. You don't, you don't know where it's been. You don't know, you don't know. And growing up, there are moments that I've lived in places where, like, people are just animal people. Like, I've lived in Florida, and I lived, like, not in, like, like big parts of Florida. Like, I lived in, like, a small town. Like, you ever seen those Instagram posts of, like, Florida man, like, in Walmart wearing weird stuff? Like, I lived there. Like, that's where I lived. Like, Florida man was my neighbor. Like, literally, like, every single time. And, like, they'll be walking, and they'll be around a lake, and they'll see a gator and be like, oh, my gosh, a gator. Let's go catch it. No. No, let's not. Let's run. Let's run. And then my wife's from Washington, and we were just recently in Washington, and we were driving up this mountain to go hike. And, like, all of these cars stopped to, like, look at this bear. And I'm like, okay, I'm, like, calculating. If this bear turns around and attacks us, like, which car is going first? And we're the closest. Like, this is not, like, my forte. This is not what I enjoy. And there was even this moment. I was on the golf course, and uh, I was about to tee off, and... And all of a sudden, my buddy who I'm with turns and he goes, Joe, look. And I turn around and there's literally like a fox like 20 yards away from me. Now, what's interesting is that some of you in your head right now just went, aw, that's weird. That's weird. Can I say that? That's weird. Some of you guys, aw, no, no, that's weird. So I'm like sitting there waiting and he like expects me to still like tee off. And I'm like, dude, I'm not teeing off until this fox leaves. So we're sitting there for like 15 minutes while it's just circling the tee box, like looking at me. And I'm pretty sure I heard it like say my name and say it was going to kill me. I guarantee it. I'm telling you. Joe, we're coming. I'm coming back with reinforcements. 
Like we're literally sitting there and, and I'm like, dude, I'm not going near it. And he starts taking out his phone and like trying to like go near it. I'm like, that is weird. Like it is, it's weird. I'm not going near it. I'm not going anywhere near that animal. I don't know where it's been. I don't know what it's gonna do. I don't know if it has a disease. Like I'm not going anywhere near it. And we have this moment in our story, which you have to understand is what Jesus is actually asking them to do. Jesus says this statement. He says, remove the stone. Now, there are two reasons why this would have been a weird request. The first one is that once a stone had sealed a grave, it actually was forbidden to remove it because you would have been seen as unclean. That was, that was just kind of too close to the grave. You, you don't want to be that close. And the second reason, they even say it. They say the odor. They say, Jesus, the odor, it, it smells. You don't want to go near it. Jesus, you don't want to go close to it. You want to stay away. They say, Jesus, the odor. And I think that if I was to ask you how you lived your life with God, how you allowed God near the places in your life, I think that the majority of us would say that we keep Jesus at arm's length because of the odor. Like Jesus is trying to go into your purity and we say, Jesus, you don't know what I've done. Jesus, you don't know the things in my past. Jesus, the odor. Jesus is crying out, hey, I, I wanna be near your business. I want to be near your business. And you're saying, well, you don't know how we get deals done in this business. You don't want to go near that. Jesus, the, the, the odor. So what do we do? We keep Jesus at arm's length. And we keep people at arm's length. Now, why is this a problem? Because what you have to understand is that when you keep people and Jesus at arm's length, you can come to church and you can have a good time. You can come to church and you can drink some coffee. You can come to church and you can have a donut. But you'll never have your life transformed but you'll never have your life changed, but you'll never have your life changed by God. Something that I tell our students all the time, exposure brings healing. So if you were to tell me, hey, I've been struggling with this. Why has God not healed this? The first question I would ask you is, have you exposed it? Have you told anyone? Why does it matter that the stone is removed? Why does Jesus tell them this? I truly do believe the reason why is because the longer that Lazarus stays in the grave, the more dead that he becomes. You see, the longer he stays there, the more his body begins to decay. The longer he stays there, the more dead that he becomes, the more time passes. Can I encourage you? The longer that your secrets stay in the grave, the longer that your lives stay in the grave, the longer that you live in darkness, the more spiritually, the more emotionally, the more mentally dead and numb that you will find yourself. And you're gonna look up and you're gonna say, how am I even allowing this in my life? Well, did you remove the stone? Well, how did I even get here? How am I making decisions and not even caring about them anymore? Well, did you remove the stone? And my first point this morning, we're gonna talk about three commands that Jesus gives us in order to fall into his grace. And the first one is this. Point number one, remove the stone. You have to remove the stone. What is the stone? The stone is anything that blocks God or blocks people from getting to your grave. Anything that blocks God or blocks people from getting to your grave. So the smile that you put on when people ask you if everything's okay and it's really not, that actually could be a stone. The things that you do when nobody's looking but you don't want people to get into your life could actually be a stone. Now why does this matter? Because in this moment they think they're protecting Jesus. Jesus, you don't, you don't wanna go near that grave. Jesus, that grave smells. Jesus, that great, no, no, you don't want to go near, but what they're actually doing is they're preventing Jesus from the miracle that could happen in their life. And what you and I do is we sometimes feel as though we're protecting people. Well, well I can't join a small group because if I do, well, well they're not going to want me there in a couple, we can think we're protecting people. 
Well, I can't go to church. Well, I have to get myself right. for We can think we're protecting people. But what we're actually doing is preventing Jesus from working in our life. What we're actually doing is preventing God from doing a miracle in our life. So Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, I need you to remove the stone. I need you to take this stone away. They thought that Jesus just went to honor Lazarus. They thought that Jesus just was there in order to pay his respects to Lazarus. But can I encourage you this morning, Jesus wasn't there to pay respects to Lazarus. Jesus was actually there to resurrect Lazarus. Jesus doesn't go to your grave in order to just pay respect to your grave. To say, hey, look at how dead you are. No, he actually goes to resurrect your grave. He actually goes to bring life. He actually goes to bring healing. He actually goes to bring joy and hope where there is no hope and there is no joy. But can you remove the stone? Can I encourage you? Jesus cannot heal a grave that you haven't opened. Jesus cannot resurrect a grave that you haven't opened. The Bible tells us in Revelations, what does he do? He stands at the door and knocks. But what does it say? It says you and I have to open our heart. But can you remove the stone? And the second point is the story continues. It says, then he said to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you have sent me. <clears throat> then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. Uh, something I've uh, noticed in life is that there are different ways that people run. If you really process it, there are different ways that people run. The first way that people run is you run for like a goal. You run for like a, a prize. Like who in here ran track ever? Everyone, anyone ever, any track runners? Yeah, there's a difference when you're running for something. There's a difference when you're running for a goal. And then we have people who run for fun. Can you raise your hand if you run for fun? Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I don't understand you, I don't. Just running, just running. I don't run for fun. I actually believe it's biblical, I do. Uh, and I'm gonna prove it to you. There's this verse in the Bible. Why do I think that running for fun is not biblical? Proverbs 28.1, the wicked run when no one is chasing them. That's what it says. That's what it says. The wicked run when no one is chasing them. But an honest person is as brave as a lion. That's me. That's me. That's me. So when people ask you, hey, do you run? No, I'm just honest. I'm just righteous. I just love the Bible. Uh, and then the last way is running for your life. Like, have you ever just ran for your life? Like, have you ever had to run for your life? Yeah, it's very encouraging that not as many hands uh, go up for that. That's very encouraging. And the problem with running for your life is a lot of times you're just running, 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 and you think that someone's chasing you. Like, a lot of times you're just running, 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 and you don't know why. One time I went to go see the movie Transformers. Has anyone ever seen that movie, Transformers? And then as soon as I, like, left the movie, uh, I'm walking out with my friends, and all I hear is, I'm going to be honest, I ran immediately. Like, I ran. I was 100 yards down the road, and I look back, and it's just the sprinklers turning on. It was. But I ran. I ran. They're like, Joe, did you think a Transformer was, like, here today? I said, I don't know. No idea. But I think that the way that we run is also the way that you and I run in life. To where there are some of us who are running for a goal, right? Okay, I just got to run to this goal. I got to run. I got to run to this goal. I got to make sure, you know, I wake up at a certain time. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. Very type A people. I run for a goal. And then there are some of us who are just running for fun. Like, what are you going to do this weekend? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. Look, squirrel. I don't know. What are we doing? I'm just running for fun. Do you have any goals? I don't know. 
And then there are some of us who are just running for our lives, like, oh my gosh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to catch this, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have to get this business, I have to do this promotion, I have to do this, I have to get, I have to get this degree, I have to work, work really, really hard, really hard, really hard, really hard. Who's chasing you? I don't know, but I have to run. Just run, just run, just run, just run, just run, just run. And I think what can happen is if you are running and you don't know why, and you don't know what you're running to, and you don't know what you're running from, there are moments in your life that you will look up and you will realize that you are spiritually and emotionally depleted and in the grave. There will be moments in your life that you'll wake up and you'll find yourself in the grave. And we have this moment where Jesus says, come out. Where he calls out to Lazarus, he says what? Come out of the grave. Now why is this important? Because it would have been crazy. It wouldn't have made sense. It would not have made any sense for someone who was living, for someone who was alive, for someone who was breathing, for someone who had purpose to remain in the grave. And yet the challenge for you and I, especially doing Christianity and doing the work of God in, in America and even in the Bay Area and the affluent place that it is, is that you and I can be alive and we can be breathing and we can have a relationship with God in the grave. You see, we can have this relationship with God where we spend time with God and then go back to the grave where we enjoy time with God and maybe we even go to our small group and then we go back to the grave, back to the things that are killing us, back to the things that are destroying us, back to the things that have hold on us. We can sometimes come out and then go back in. But what does Jesus say? The second thing that you have to do is you have to come out of the grave. What is the grave? The grave is anything that isn't God's best for you. Anything that isn't God's best for you. So the relationship that you're in that maybe you don't feel fully comfortable being in could actually be a grave. The job that you have that maybe causes you to do things outside of your character could actually be a grave. These things in your life could actually be the grave. And what you and I can do is we can come to church and go back to the grave. This is how I lived my life. I would enjoy God and go back to the grave. I would spend time with God and go back to the grave. Now, why does this matter? Why is this even something that we should talk about? Because what you'll soon realize is that when you were alive and when you were breathing and when you were active, the grave is no longer a place of benefit. It turns into a place of burden. And what you have to understand is that there will be moments in your life where you will have an experience with God. And what you'll look at is that you can no longer be alive in the grave. I'm fully convinced you cannot live your life the same when you are alive, that you can't party the same when you're alive, that you can't do business transactions the same when you're alive, that you can't do these things the same when you're alive. Why? Because things that are living cannot grow and function in the grave. Things that have life, things that have purpose cannot grow and function in the grave. So what does Jesus tell us to do? He tells us to come out of the grave, to step out of things that are destroying us and to step into life to step out of things that are maybe burdening us and step into hope. He says, come out of the grave. What you have to understand is Jesus wants the real you out of the grave. Jesus wants the real you. Jesus says, come out of the grave as you are. He says, I need you to come out of the grave as you are. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Lazarus, get some of that death off you first and then come out of the grave. He doesn't say, hey, Lazarus, make, make sure that you don't smell as bad and then come out of the grave. But what does he say? Hey, come out of the grave as you are. Did you know Jesus wants the real you out of the grave? Like not the Instagram you. Like not the you like that's you at the water cooler and then a different way when you get home. 
Like not that you, like not the fake you, not the you that you just know how to put on a show, you know how to say the, the right things, you know how to put the act on, not that you. Did you know Jesus wants the real you, the frustrated you, the angry you? Because we sometimes can believe that whether or not we should come out of the grave depends on us. We sometimes believe that whether or not I should come out of the grave depends on my character. It depends on my efforts. It depends on how hard I have worked. But what I love about this story is that Lazarus did not come out of the grave based off of himself, but he came out of the grave because Jesus called him to. Lazarus did not come out of the grave because he felt like it was time, but he came out of the grave because he was called. Can I encourage you? Whether or not you come out of the grave does not determined by what you have done, but whether or not you come out of the grave should be determined by has Jesus called you? Has Jesus called you? Has Jesus called you out of the grave? And I can tell you that he has. That not only did he call you out of the grave, but he actually came down from heaven, died on a cross, and rose three days later. Why? So you and I could step out of the grave. So you and I could walk out of the grave. So you and I could find freedom, find hope, and find life outside of the grave. Come on, that's a good time to clap. That's a good thing to put our hands together for. And as I begin to close, and the band can come up, I love how this story ends. And I, uh, we're going to put up the New King James Version because I just love this version so much. It says, now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, <clears throat> Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Uh, I was uh, reading uh, this story on how they basically train elephants for the circus. Uh, it was like a YouTube like chain. I just ended up there. Don't ask how. Um, but I ended up reading this story or seeing this video and even reading some articles about how they train elephants for the circus. Now, what's interesting is that when you go to the circus, a lot of times these elephants, they'll be these big animals. They'll be these big things that just have a rope around their leg. So you would think, oh, well, this elephant could run free if it really wanted to. Like, why doesn't it? This elephant could go crazy, like it really could cause a stampede if it wanted to, but why doesn't it? And what I ended up finding out was that when these elephants are little, what they do is they'll put that same rope around its leg and attach it to a peg. So in that moment, no, the elephant isn't free. In that moment, no, the elephant doesn't have freedom. But as it gets bigger, as it gets older, as it gets larger, it still believes that the thing that was around its leg and that bound it then is still binding it now. It still believes that it can't move, even though it could have freedom, even though it could run wild, it still believes that it can't move and it stays within this radius, it stays within this circle simply because it was bound when it was little. And I think that there are even some of us in here who maybe had some ropes put around us when we were younger. We maybe had some things put around us when we were younger, when we maybe were younger in our lives. And as we got older, these things that were binding us we thought we couldn't break free from, so we stayed in them. So what I love about this story about the elephants is that what they would do is they could only go around a certain circle. So they would be here and they'd go around this circle not knowing that it could go out. And this is what happens in your life and in my life is we only experience certain things. We come to church and then we go home and then we live our lives. We go in a small group and then we go home and we live our lives and we stay in this circle. We stay in this little circle not realizing that there's more for us out there, that we could have freedom, that we could have joy, that we could have hope. We, we stay in the circle. And there's this moment in the story, and, and I promise we're almost done, there's this moment where Lazarus is fully freed, 
or he's fully alive. He is now out of the grave, but he has no freedom. I think when you read this story, we sometimes can think grave clothes would have been like normal clothes. They would have just been clothes that you and I wear, but what you have to understand is that he was wrapped like a mummy, that it says that he was bound hand and foot, that there was even something over his face. So Lazarus is fully alive, but he's not free. Lazarus is fully alive, but he's still trapped. And I think if I was to ask you your story, I think if I was to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you, there would be some of us who would say, I I know I found Jesus, but there are still some things that are binding me. I know that I rose my hand in a service, but I'm still dealing with some things. So Jesus tells them, he says, hey, I I need you to loose him. I need you to let him go. And there's this moment And what you have to understand why this is so important is because right now there is a cloth over his face, meaning that he has no vision. And there's cloth wrapped around his body, meaning he has no mobility. What you have to understand is that he now cannot see and he now cannot move. And if the enemy can take anything from you, if he's gonna steal anything from your life, he's gonna make it so that you cannot see better for your life. And if you can see it, that you won't wanna move towards it. So you're gonna be in this circle and you're gonna say, why can I not move out? And it's simply because you're still wrapped. Why am I still struggling with these things? And it's simply because you're still wrapped. So what does Jesus tell us? What does Jesus do? Point number three, he says, take off the wraps. He says, take off the wraps. Can you understand? You cannot step out of this circle until you take off the wraps. You cannot step into freedom until you take off the wraps. But you also have to hear me this morning is that Jesus doesn't say that to Lazarus. What you have to understand is Jesus doesn't tell Lazarus, hey, Lazarus, take the wraps off yourself. No, he actually tells it to the people around him. And what you have to understand is that there are some of us who are shimmying to try to take the wraps off. There are some of us who are hot. We're doing everything we can to try to take the wraps off, not realizing we cannot take the wraps off ourselves. And what you have to understand is God has sent pastors, God has sent small group leaders, God has sent people in this church who can help you take the wraps off, who can help you walk through the things that you're binding you, who can help you find freedom in things you've never known before. The Bible tells us, I've said this before, that for the rest of our lives, we're gonna be under construction. For the rest of our lives, we're gonna have struggles, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna not know how we do things. Paul even says, I do all the things that I don't wanna do and I don't do the things that I wanna do. For the rest of our lives, we're gonna have wraps on. But is anyone thankful for the grace of God that because of him we can come into an environment like this and begin to take the wraps off? Why do you come to church so you can take the wraps off? Why do you join a small group so you can take the wraps off? Why do you serve on a team so you can take the wraps off? But you cannot take the wraps off of yourself. Could you imagine? Oh, could you imagine the deep breath of Lazarus as he comes out of the wraps? Could you imagine that first breath? Could you imagine the, the light, seeing the light for the first time? Could you imagine the stretch? Could you imagine the freedom? Lazarus was bound for four days. There are some of us who have been bound for four years. There are some of us who have been bound for decades. There are some of us who have been struggling with things for decades. There are some of us who have been wrapped for decades. What you have to understand this morning is that Jesus looks to Lazarus, his friend, who has just been through a hard time, the people around him who doubted him, the people who were frustrated, the people who were angry, and he tells them, I need you to loose him, and I need you to let him go. 
He says, you can't have my friend anymore. You need to loose him and you need to let him go. He says, you can't have him. You, I'm going home with him. You can't take him anymore. I need you to loose him and I need you to let him go. And can I encourage you, the God of all creation, the God who loves you, the God who died on a cross for you is yelling at everything that is binding you. He's yelling at the anxiety. He's yelling at the depression. He's yelling at the frustration. He's saying, loose them and let them go. He's saying, you have no power here. Loose them and let them go. He says, you have to be able to loose them and let them go. I believe that God is raising up a church, a church of people who have been through a pandemic, a church of people who are struggling with their mental health, a church of people who are going through some of the hard time, hardest times that our country has ever seen who are saying, I refuse to be bound. I refuse to keep the wraps on. I refuse to walk any longer and not step out of the wraps. But I'm ready to be loosed and let go. But I'm ready to walk in freedom. And my prayer for you, I said this to our students, and my prayer for you this morning is that you would not walk out of here with things that you should have left in the altar. My prayer for you is that you would not leave your seat with things, carrying things that God has called you to release to him. Why? Because it's faster if you fall. Do you want to take the wraps off? It's faster if you fall. Do you want to walk in freedom? It's faster if you fall. And my prayer for our church is that people would come here and it truly would be a house of miracles. That it would be a place where people who are broken would find hope. That it would be a place where marriages who thought that it was over would be restored. That it would be a place where students who are struggling with suicidal thoughts would find peace again. Why? Because it's faster if you fall. We're not supposed to work to it. It's faster if you fall. We're not supposed to climb to it. It's faster if you fall. Come on, let's stand to our feet. And I have two questions for you. We ask the first question every single week here at Mission Church, and maybe you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus. We say this means two things at our youth ministry. The first one we say is that, Jesus, I want you in my heart. We even call it heart surgery, that there are things in my heart that I need you to take out, that there are things in my heart that I need you to remove. We call it heart surgery. And the second thing is, Jesus, I want you in my life. There are habits I have. There are things that I do. There are things that I can't control. And I'm tired of trying to play Savior, but I want to be, be saved by a Savior. I'm tired of trying to save myself. I'm, I'm tired of climbing, and I'm ready to fall. And if that's you, I would love for you to just raise your hand on the count of three. We're not going to ask you your story. We're not going to ask you to say anything. I just want to know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. If that's you. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's awesome. Hands up all over the place. That's awesome. And the second question tonight, the original title of this message was Step Out to Step In. And what you have to understand this morning, church, is that there are going to be moments in your life you're going to have to step out of an old season to enter into a new one. And you're going to have to step out of some things in order to experience all that God has for you. And if you're willing to say, hey, there's some things I need to step out, uh, step out of and step into. I'm willing to step out of anxiety and step into peace. I'm willing to step out of temptation and step into freedom. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Once again, I'm not going to ask you to share your story. I just want to know who I'm praying for. So if that's you, you can just put your hand up on the count of three. One, two, three. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we pray this prayer every single week. It's called the sinner's prayer, and we pray it all together because we believe that we're all sinners saved by grace. So go ahead and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, say it like we mean it. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Make me brand new. Forgive me of my past. As I choose today to make you Lord of my life for the rest of my life. 
And God, I thank you that your word tells us that we are new creations, that the old has passed away and that the new has come. So I thank you for moments like this that remind me that I am not just new, but I am made new by your grace, made new by your mercy, made new by your love. God, I pray that we would not hold on to things that you have called us to release. I pray that we wouldn't carry crosses that you died on. I pray that we wouldn't carry burdens that you call us to cast on you, but that we would walk in freedom, that we would take the wraps off, God, that we would step out to step in. I pray that people even today would step out of temptation and into freedom. I pray that people even today would step out of hopelessness and step into hope, that they would step out of anxiety and step into joy. But remind us, God, we cannot take the wraps off of ourselves, that we aren't strong enough, that, that, that we've been dead a little bit too long, God, but we need people and we need you. So I pray, God, that every single person in here, God, would be surrounded by people and they would be surrounded by you. That in moments in our lives, we want to take the wraps off ourselves, we would be surrounded by people, people that can rally around us, pray for us, cry with us, weep with us, and yet we would still find ourselves surrounded by you. Help us to take the wraps off because it's faster if we fall. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.